for Money Matters, Pastor Xavier Reese says God's Word, not the values of society, makes the most sense. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. Paul the Apostle in um, 1 Timothy 6, 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. And I have seen this in the Christian community. I don't care about the world. I know where the world is. I used to be there. My concern is the church. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. With scams large and small making the news every day, what matters most when it comes to money matters is integrity. And held to an even higher standard, the church, Pastor Xavier turns to Acts chapter 20 for some basic principles for raising and spending money within ministry in particular. Let's join him now, beginning with the title for today's Simple Truth Study. The message is entitled, Paul's Witness to His Integrity. The last meeting with the Ephesian elders, he told us of the pastor's priorities. He shared with us the pastor's call and key to suffering. He revealed to us truths about himself, and he gave us warnings to remember He explained the reason for his counsel. He disclosed to us that we ultimately have to commend men and women to God. Now, Paul the Apostle closes his meeting with the Ephesian elders by a personal witness of his integrity that he has exhibited in the ministry at Ephesus from verse 33 to 38. Paul's personal witness of his integrity in ministry is marked by three things. They're laid out for us here. Let me read here 33 to 38. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must Support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul's personal witness of his integrity and ministry is marked by the following. First of all, verse 33, the proclamation of his integrity. Secondly, we have the confirmation for his integrity in verse 34 and 35. And then thirdly, the lamentation due to his integrity in verse 36 through 38. The proclamation of his integrity, listen to it. I have coveted No one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul had not merchandised the Ephesian church. That's what he's saying. That his whole motive for serving and and doing what he was doing was with no longing for anything to make him wealthy. The Apostle Paul boldly declares, notice his blamelessness of serving for money. The word... Coveted, as you know, means to set your heart upon, to long for, and desire. The context will always dictate whether it's good or bad. 
The word is used in Matthew 5.28 for lusting after a woman in one's heart. Of course, Jesus condemns that. We know that. Luke 16.21 uses the word when Lazarus desired to be fed with the crumbs of the rich man's table, that beggar. He was longing for some food. Nothing wrong with that. The word is used by Jesus with desire. I have desire to eat this Passover when he spoke to his disciples in Luke twenty-two, fifteen, in fulfillment of the new covenant. Paul the apostle had no longing of heart for simply obtaining material things. This is very difficult for us to understand because especially in our age and uh, the generation we live in America, this is pumped and pushed and, 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 and advertised and, and inculcated through the educational system that this is what we are to do. And so people live for this today and they end up wealthy, lonely, and miserable. The occasion is similar to... Samuel's farewell charge, if you remember, in 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 5. As he um, declares to Israel that he had robbed nobody, not one person. The context was when they wanted a king like all the other nations, God had been the one ruling over them, a theocracy. And uh, God had already foreseen that and declared in Deuteronomy 17 that it was to be one that was a Jew, not a stranger, and gives the whole requirements there that, you know, he was to make a copy of the law and everything. Because, you know, Samuel's sons were corrupt, and uh, he was getting old. And so Samuel tells them in verse 3 and 4, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or... Who have I cheated? And then he says some more things. And then they say at the end, he says, and I will restore it to you. Someone tell me, charge me. And the people responded in verse 4, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. At your hand. What an incredible thing. And that's one thing that a pastor should be able to say. And we're going to deal with the aspect because he's talked about money and that, and we're not speaking against Someone receiving a salary of God chooses to do the church that way. One is not better over the other, as we'll see. We have to be careful of that. But he definitely says here, this is his, his longing in his heart was not for this. This was not his motivation. Very important. Paul had come to Ephesus with a desire of serving, not getting rich off the congregation. He uses the phrase silver or gold or clothing the three items here express the measure of a person's wealth in the days of Paul. Today we might say stocks and bond and realty. <laughs> These were the commodities. Silver and gold have always been the most sought off after by men and women. Uh, men and women kill for it. Uh, certainly uh, as the Spaniard explorers came into Mexico and South America, they just killed all the natives and and in Mexico, there's still the largest treasure of Huactemoc that we don't know where it's at. They burned his feet at the fire, and he wouldn't tell them. <laughs> but they took a heck of a lot of gold back. And it was in that golden age of Spain when they pilfered and robbed everything from the world that they went back to the nation, and they decayed. They corrupted themselves. They became ease. They became lazy. 
and they became nothing. Money is a powerful thing, ladies and gentlemen. I have seen both in the world corruption come through the desire of it and also in the ministry. The apparel speaks of clothing for life. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a pair of pants, a shirt. Uh, we certainly aren't to be about streaking. We're to have our nakedness covered. But um, the apostle is speaking about the type of clothing that is very costly and coveted uh, by people for their possessions. The type of apparel that expresses your social status, the elite of the wealthy, you know, label brands. You know, today everybody thinks they have to have it, and they do. You, you pay $300 for a pair of Levi's with holes that I used to feel sorry for my friends because they didn't have money to buy new ones. It's amazing today. And all the kids are raised to that today. They're hammered from the average time, from, the, from MTV, everything else, wherever it is in the school, that everybody's got to have the label name. So here you're paying $300 for a pair of tennis shoes. And everybody's in hawk. And people live with the Mercedes, with the house on the hill, with the vacations, with eating out. And their credit cards are maxed out, 10, 20, 30,000. They give the appearance, but they're broke. First, shame on you to live like that. Second of all, shame on the loaning agencies that give you credit. That's why we're in the mess we're in right now. Listen, when you don't pay your bills, the person who works pays them. The nation absorbs it and passes it down to the consumer, the one who pays, the one who's faithful, the one who pays their bills. These are the trappings to impress people, to communicate our importance. And uh, it's all around us. It's our sin nature. You understand? Can't get away from it. But as Christians, we have to be real careful. And more so here from the pulpit, from the pastor's perspective. Notice still in verse 33 that Paul had uh, not merchandised any one person. The time of three years had passed and he remained true to his integrity during those three years. He lived among them. He was one of them. They, they, they saw him all the time. They, they could... Pick out, uh, I mean, if you spend time with a person, you know, sooner or later you start seeing cracks. All of us have cracks. And all of a sudden, either they're going to offend us and say, Phew, or we'll say, you know what, hey, he's just like me. One of the two. Paul had encountered and come to know many people. Yet he could leave with clear conscience, knowing he could not be charged not even by one person. That's incredible. When you spend time with people, they get to know you, who you are. And if you put on an act, sooner or later, you put your guard down. But if you're yourself, you have nothing to hide. So it doesn't matter, you understand? <laughs> now, people may sus be suspicious of you or come to wrong conclusions, but you're ignorant of them, so whatever, doesn't matter. Paul had worked with his own hands, as we'll see with uh, the profession of tent making. What an incredible man. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul at one point told the Corinthians that the only thing that he asked them forgiveness for was, get a hold of it. I didn't take money from you. Forgive me. What to God there would be more Pauls that could say that? Paul was an example of a true shepherd called by God. He depended on God. He wasn't afraid of work. Paul depended and trusted on the Lord. 
not any man. And Paul lived content with what God provided. There's the key to life, ladies and gentlemen, contentment. Contentment doesn't mean you don't want to get ahead. Contentment means that you appreciate what you have. You realize you don't deserve it and you are steward of it. And if there's opportunity to get ahead, you do it. But that's not your goal. That's not your passion. You don't do anything to get that. You understand? Complacency is you don't care. You're lazy. You're indifferent. What's the use? A Christian's never like that. Paul was not motivated by financial wealth to obtain it or to amass it. Is there anything wrong with having it? Nope. Not in and of itself. But the context and focus is, I was never longing for it. That was not my motive. You understand? George Washington said, Few men have virtue to withstand the highest bidder. (laughs) Everything has a price. We have to be careful. One of the qualifications of an elder, a bishop, and a pastor, as you know, in 1 Timothy 3.3 and Titus 1.7, is that they're not to be known for greed of money or to be covetous. That is not to be the motive or the reason for which they enter ministry for. They're there to lead and to serve. And as we'll see, if God has that ministry to be a tent ministry like Paul to work, then that's okay too. If God provides so that it can be the other way around, that's okay too. So one is not superior to the other. What is best is the way God is directing. Do you understand? Very important. We have to be real careful. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. Paul the Apostle in um, 1 Timothy 6, 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. And I have seen this in the Christian community. I don't care about the world. I know where the world is. I used to be there. My concern is the church. There are men in ministry who are guilty of uh, the sin of Balaam. As you know, Balaam was uh, sought out by King Balak to come and curse Israel. He sent all kinds of ambassadors with money and promising him this and that. And he says, well, Lord, you know, the Lord don't let me go. I'm not going. They went back. They said, look, he won't come back. Sent other ambassadors, more wealth, more riches. He goes to God and God says, if they come for you in the morning, go. If not, don't. All of a sudden we find out Balaam, he's on his way. The implication is they didn't come to seek him. He just went. And the angel of the Lord is in the middle of the road there. And you know, as a donkey goes to one side and he smacks him, comes back, boom, boom, all of a sudden he just leaves down. And he starts beating his donkey. And the donkey says, hey, wait a minute. I'm your little donkey. You know me. I bet. Have I ever been known to do something like this? And all of a sudden the Lord opened his eyes. He saw the angel of the Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll go. He says, you better thank that little donkey. I'll taking your head off. Now you go, but you're only going to say what I tell you. Second Peter 2.15 says, they have forsaken the right way of, and gone after uh, astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Jude 11 says, Woe to them, for they have run greedily in air of Balaam for profit. The receiving of these things is not what is being spoken against. It's the longing, the coveting, and the seeking after at all expense. You understand? And dishonestly. 
there are companies that will um, come in and, and um, promise the pastor they can raise a, mi- a million, two million dollars for their building, whatever they want to do. And, and they're good. Of course, they do it for a portion. But I picked one up probably at the end of last year a little bit, and I picked it up, and the guy said, hi, this is that, introduced himself. He says, you know, we're here, we want to help you out in your vision and your, your expanding of ministry, this and that, and we want, I said, you know what, I really appreciate it. I said, but um, we're okay. We don't need any money. He goes, I beg, you don't need money? I said, no. I said, we live within the means that God gives to us. And for 27 years, we've depended on him. We take one offering on Sunday. We don't beg. We don't prod. We don't pressure. And I told him, by the way, we're debt-free. And as long as I stay within what God's doing, then he promised he'll flip the bill. The guy was, he couldn't believe it. He was stunned. Well, okay, well, if you ever change, but what if you want to do something? I said, we don't do anything unless God tells us to. And if he does it, then he flips the bill. He didn't understand it. Because from within the church and outside the professional organizations of quote-unquote Christians have both been corrupted with the worldly model. Do you understand? I realize every time I speak like this, I put myself out to a test from God. And if God began to wane the ministry here financially, we would make cutbacks. And we would pray. And if God continued to cut them back and we had to shut the doors, then we'd shut the doors and I'd grab my Bible and go sit in another church and serve. And maybe that would be my test. But how many people would conclude, well, see, he got his. It would never bring doubt that what God's done to this point is God. Because none of you have ever been pressured or ever will be. You understand? God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's God's department, you understand? There's no burden. There's not. We take one offering a week and we live off that, whatever God is doing. And God has, if I told you the stuff that God does, all this stuff, it's amazing to me. It's just amazing. Pastors will beg on the radio and tell their audience that if they don't give to them, they'll get off. Hallelujah, get off. <laughs> we have just gotten off a couple of stations this month. We didn't go on and say, listen. We got 30 days. We don't hear from you. Out. That's it. We cut it. Doesn't matter. If God guides, he provides. This is what I believe the Bible teaches if a person is called. But I've got to stay within the boundaries God calls me, not what I want to see done. If God does not provide, then we shouldn't do it. And if we say that God has told me to do it, then he'll provide for it. He's not the author of confusion. God's not broke. Honest. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter 2, 3. He says, beware, because by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. This is for all the church age, ladies and gentlemen. People are very, very, very clever more so in the church when it becomes corrupt. The proclamation of his integrity was indisputable. Notice secondly, the confirmation for his integrity is laid out. Verse 34, 
Paul had worked with his own hands to have provisions for life. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessity and for those who were with me. So first of all, to provide for his own necessities by his own two hands, labor. He worked as a tent maker with Achilla Priscilla, Acts 18.3. He says, and we labor working with our hands, 1 Corinthians 4.12. Nothing wrong with that. The apostle labored night and day with his own hands in order not to be burdened, but rather to be an example, he says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 8 and 9. Now once again, for Paul, this is what God was directing him, and we're going to see that he had the right to. So for him to do otherwise would be wrong, but be careful of concluding that one is superior to the other. You understand? 1 Corinthians 9, 11 through 15, as well as 1 Timothy 5, 18 the right to live of the gospel was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, and the Lord Jesus commanded it, yet Paul did not exercise it as a right, lest he would hinder the gospel. You shall not muzzle the ox that treads the corn. And he ties it with the words of Jesus there. Those that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And he makes Old and New Testament the same in authority. Puts them both together. But not only to provide for his own necessities, notice that to provide... For the necessities of those with him. Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, they were with him in missionary journeys often. Serpater of Berea, Aristarchus, Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius of Derby, Tachicus and Trifemus of Asia, Acts 20, verse 4, just some of the few places. Paul was never alone. Paul traveled with people. Paul was, was very wise to be accountable in their protection. We never travel alone. We always go by twos at the very least. I see some of these pastors, they travel alone. Even if you're a man of integrity, you can be accused. And I don't care how strong you are. You get in the wrong place at the wrong time. You have to be careful. In 2 Corinthians 8, 18 through 21, Paul made sure he was blameless. Even in the collection for the poor saints of Jerusalem. He involved others in the collection and in the taking it to Jerusalem. Very wise man. The finances here, let's say we have men that count the money, they're accountable, the two signatures, everything else. Everything's taken care of, every, every penny. Very important. By the way, that's the only offering that's ever mentioned in the book of Acts. Missionary offerings really are not biblical to an extent. When the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Saul to do the work of ministry, they never raised funds for them. They didn't write form letters. The only offering that we know that was taken up was by the Gentile church to send back to the mother church. So if anything, we have it backwards. We're to depend upon God. If God has called us, then he will demonstrate that as he opens the door, as he provides the building. If he has a building, sometimes he won't provide a building. Sometimes he'll provide just a place to rent. It'll give him more glory. Whatever he has, you understand? That's important. Now notice Paul had shown them by example to support the weak, he says. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. Paul had modeled for them how to be resourceful. The personal example was visible. The Word of God, offering not just advice for matters of money, but also providing an example in the Apostle Paul for the church to follow. Pastor Xavier Reese with today's Simple Truths, continuing a study in the book of Acts, chapter 20. 
Now, there's much more to this study to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message. And the title you want to ask for is Paul's Witness to His Integrity. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And this makes a convenient way to share this ministry with someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is Paul's Witness to His Integrity, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. To what God calls, He enables. To where He guides, He provides. Conducting ministry with this kind of faith is all about relying on God. Join us for more Simple Truths of Integrity in Ministry next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com